Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Health Media Now with award-winning author and host, Denise Messenger, for a lifetime of health empowerment. Live by being in the pink. Meaning P stands for being persistent. I stands for using your intuition. N stands for networking. And K stands for obtaining knowledge. Preserve and protect your health by listening live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Our guests entertain and share cutting-edge information. They share with you what may have taken years to achieve through experience in their field. Become inspired and motivated. Reach your full potential with fascinating tips and products. Receive a lifetime of benefits from authors, doctors, practitioners, healthcare providers, and learn about exciting new products. You asked for it, and we deliver. Now, here's your host, Denise Messenger. Hello, listeners. Today is July 2nd, 2014. I'm so glad that you've tuned in with us today because we have a fantastic guest. Our guest today is John Arden, Ph.D. He currently is the Director of Training in Mental Health for Kaiser Permanente, located in Northern California. He oversees training in 24 medical centers where over 130 postdoctoral residents and interns are trained each year. He has also authored and co-authored 13 books. And the book that we're going to be talking about today is his latest, and it is called The Brain Bible. I'd like to now take the opportunity to welcome Dr. Arden to our show. Hello, Dr. Arden. Hello, Dr. Arden. Hi, it's great to be here. Can you hear me? I'd like to start my shows out by asking my guests how they got on the path that they're on today. Well, I I actually started in the mental health field, uh, you could say, uh, roughly about 40 years ago. Um, and uh, worked in a number of different capacities. I was uh, very much part of the deinstitutionalization movement and worked in uh, San Francisco uh, setting up alternatives to inpatient care and then uh, branched out, worked with a number of different uh, ethnic groups like uh, Native Americans in the Southwest and, and Latinos in the Southwest and uh, people in the inner cities and in other areas, and then have been mm-hmm. working in uh, Kaiser Permanente for the last 25 years in a number of capacities. You must like it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm, I'm very excited about integrated care, uh, that uh, a psychologist could 
talk to the podiatrist that uh, we're talking about the whole body here. We're not talking about uh, dividing it up and, and uh, not sharing information. Rather, mm-hmm. we're, we're sharing information, and it's about integrated care, which is the wave of the future. So I'm very it happy is. about that. Fabulous. We know there's an estimated 76.1 million American baby boomers that are going to be transitioning into their senior years. So the book that you've just come out with, The Brain Bible, is very timely. You want to talk to us about this? Sure. I'm one of the 76 um, uh, um, million (laughs) that you're talking about. And uh, uh, I have been very interested in in what are the, um, the major factors that research can support that um, uh, those of us that want to keep our brains healthy ought to be practicing on a regular basis. And uh, let's face it, there's a lot of terrible misinformation out there. Every time you turn around, there's another uh, fad about uh, the latest kind of berry you might eat or uh, you know, maybe use this uh, uh, supplement or, or uh, do this particular exercise. Uh, at the exclusion of everything else, and then the next week that we find out that it really didn't work so well because the research wasn't very robust. Uh, so what I wanted to do was to take a look at uh, the research in its entirety and take a look at consistent research. What, what have we uh, accumulated over time that has been uh, duplicated in multiple studies, and uh, what can we offer people out there that don't want to sift through a lot of research? And so Mm -hmm. what I found was that there were five factors that seemed to be uh, very uh, strongly supported by the research literature, and I put them in a mnemonic uh, called SEEDS. Uh, So if you plant seeds now, uh, you can uh, reap really great benefit, reap great fruit uh, for the rest of your life. In other words, you'll be uh, happier, less depressed, uh, less anxious, and get dementia symptoms later than you would have had you not followed this plan. And SEEDS stands for something in your book. Exactly. So let's go over them uh, one at a time. Uh, To begin with, the first S is uh, uh, social uh, connectedness. Uh, Let's face it, we are an incredibly social creature. Uh, We survived from an evolutionary perspective by working together. In fact, we're the species that is born most premature. We spend the greatest uh, length of time with our principal caregivers than any other species. You know, some uh, species are, you know, hatched or or born and a couple, maybe a week, they're out of the nest and they're gone. Uh, now, uh, in our uh, society, we have uh, kids that are in their late 20s and haven't <laughs> left the nest, so to speak. But, but from uh, an actual uh, brain perspective, the brain isn't actually uh, mature until the mid-20s anyway. So the interaction that we have with our principal caregivers and those around us really sculpt the brain, really form the brain as to what it is. And it turns out that people that are more depressed tend to be lonelier. Or let me reverse it. People that are lonely late in life get more depressed more easily. They get more anxious more easily. And uh, 
they get dementia symptoms earlier. Even down to the chromosomal level, we see uh, deficits related to social uh, deprivation. So the caps on the ends of the chromosomes, which are called telomeres, uh, mm-hmm. actually shrink. They shrink with loneliness. So what you're talking about here uh, in, in terms of a broad stroke is that loneliness actually accelerates aging. So the oh second factor, uh, exercise is uh, the first E, and it is probably the most powerful thing that you can do for your brain. Uh, uh, so uh, harking back to our evolutionary past, you could say that um, uh, largely most of us, uh, our species, uh, existed in a hunter-gatherer type of format whereby we moved about 10 miles a day until the advent of agriculture. And 10 miles a day is a lot of movement. And I don't know many people that move 10 miles a day unless they're sitting in a car. And so exercise is actually a term that was recently invented because people were moved quite a bit even 100 years ago. Uh, So exercise is a powerful biological necessity. And what I'm talking about with with respect to exercise is aerobic exercise. You've got to get your heart pumping. You've got to Mm -hmm. sweat a little bit. And you've got to do it at least 30 minutes a day. And the benefits of exercise are profound. I mean, even down to the growth of new neurons, which is called neurogenesis, that Mm -hmm. occurs in specific and very important areas of your brain, like the hippocampus, laying down new memories. Uh, So exercise is a powerful brain uh, tonic. You can call it uh, the stimulator of miracle Grow, which uh, is a substance called Mm -hmm. brain-derived nootropic factor. So exercise, second E, or first E, rather. Uh, The second E is education. Shall I go on uh, through all these, Diane? Oh, sure. Um, I just wanted to ask you, when you were talking about the brain uh, with um, exercise, does that contribute to actually helping to rewire the mature brain? Yes. Now, the substance that I was talking about, brain-derived neurotropic factor, it's one of many, actually, um, Mm -hmm. helps with the process known technically as neuroplasticity. And neuroplasticity is is easier to remember if you use the word rewire your brain. In fact, my prior book uh, was called Rewire Your Brain because most people aren't going to remember the uh, long mouthful term neuroplasticity. So, yes, exercise is a wonderful way to create the conditions in your brain to get help it rewire. And rewiring essentially is the development of new connections between the neurons. And uh, the second E, in fact, promotes that, promotes connectivity. So the more you learn, especially Mm -hmm. throughout your life and especially later in life, the more connectivity you have between your neurons. So let's pause for a second and take a broad look at the brain. Uh, your brain, my brain, uh, has roughly 100 billion neurons, and each neuron has roughly about 10,000 connections between the neurons. 
and those connections increase as we develop greater and greater cognitive capacities. In other words, the more education you have, the more connections you make, and we call that cognitive reserve. So later in life, you can lose more cells without looking like you lost much. (laughs) In other words, uh, you have more to lose without looking like you lost much. Do you follow what I mean? (laughs) So you have a bigger bench to work with. And there have been multiple studies that have demonstrated that, in fact, uh, people that have uh, greater degrees of education, and I don't mean having a lot of fancy degrees and all that, but just challenging your brain to learn more, Mm -hmm. late in life helps you uh, withstand and also prevent uh, some loss. So what you're doing is you're growing your brain by making new connections. So education is a profound requirement for the longevity of your brain. Would brain exercises also also be helpful? Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Education is brain exercises. Uh, So if you play games, uh, certainly, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, let's say – uh, playing chess, which is probably the most uh, uh, robust building, brain-building uh, game that we have because not only you're looking at details, but you're also looking at the uh, uh, broad scope of the board. So every time you move mm-hmm. a pawn, you're actually looking at how that pawn movement changes the entire configuration of the board, and then you're trying to judge what your opponent might be planning so not only you moving your pieces, but you're trying to judge what he or she might be planning to do. So that kind of game, major benefit uh, for brain building. Uh, mm-hmm. Now you might ask crossword puzzles and, and different things like that. Sure, all those things are good, but think in terms of this. When you go to a gym, uh, if you exercise just your biceps, you're going to grow big biceps, but you're not going to grow uh, new uh, muscle tissue all over your body because you're just exercising your biceps. So the the games that you play uh, have a larger benefit to you if you incorporate more br- uh, brain building skills or cognitive skills. Okay. okay. Learning a, for- a foreign language would be a good example. Oh, absolutely, and learning an in- instrument mm-hmm. as well. Uh, in oh, effect, music- well, Oh, absolutely. Uh, uh, learning a language uh, has been shown to increase uh, specific areas of the brain uh, uh, that are uh, involved in the acquisition of a language, and same with uh, learning uh, an instrument. Uh, so there have been multiple studies that have shown that people that exercise their brain through education, mm-hmm. and you could say uh, language acquisition and learning an instrument is exercising your brain, uh, builds neural tissue, connectivity Mm -hmm. in those areas that uh, correspond to those skills. I have a good question for you, and I'm sure our listeners are probably curious because a lot of our listeners have children. Mathematics is a challenge for some children as well as for some adults, and we know it's a left-brain activity. Is everyone capable of doing, say, for instance, algebra? 
Well, you know, um, as, a, as a psychologist uh, that had at one point um, uh, taught psychological and neuropsychological testing to our postdocs and interns, um, one of the jobs that, that we have is to uh, test out people's, uh, the, the uh, examinees' um, uh, various cognitive skills, and one of the, the cognitive skills is uh, computation and, and that sort of thing. And, it, and what we uh, have found over the, the vast number of years when we um, test these skills is that uh, people learn either to like something or dislike something. So there's a tremendous intimidation factor for mathematics. And uh, unfortunately, some people grow to be uh, fearful of it. Uh, so very few people are actually impaired with some kind of dyscalculia, it's technically called, uh, because of some kind of uh, neuronal uh, deficit. But more people uh, have uh, poor skills in math because they have been so intimidated by uh, the challenge of it, because it's, let's face it, it's a language, it's a number of very dry uh, um, uh, concepts, and um, uh, you know, many people in graduate school, for example, have to take statistics and mm -hmm. uh, to, to get a master's or, or PhD or whatever. And uh, uh, there's a, a common joke among us uh, that it's sadistics because people uh, <laughs> feel like it's torture. And um, the, the reality is it's uh, not that intimidating once you grow to like it. Uh, so if you don't mind me telling you a little story uh, about uh, sitting down for the licensing exam for, uh, to be a psychologist. So in the mid-'80s, mm -hmm. um, uh, I was a mental health administrator, uh, and I thought, well, what the heck? I have a Ph.D. I might as well get a license so I can also have a private practice. And, and at that point, uh, the licensing exam for a psychologist, national exam, had a 26% passage rate. That was a lot of people that were failing that exam. And, okay. Um, yeah, and so I, I actually came from a fairly large university where they required that you had uh, good research skills and, and everything else. But let's face it, I was pretty rusty in that area because I hadn't been uh, exercising my uh, sadistical skills uh, with uh, research, and so I had to convince myself that I love statistics. And once you convince yourself that you like something, you're going to be far more motivated to learn it. So what I did was I carried around in a pad in my pocket uh, little formulas for, let's say, the standard error of estimate and a number of other um, uh, statistical equations, and I would just savor those uh, 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 formulas and look at them while I was moving my lettuce line to the grocery store and, and everything. And the, the, the point that I'm trying to raise is I had to convince myself I liked it. And, in okay. fact, it worked. It worked. I started okay. studying it with much more hunger because I liked it. And mm -hmm. so when, getting back to your question about uh, uh, parents that have kids that don't do well in math, uh, well, part of n them not doing well in math is that they don't like it. And helping them like it is a major part of the acquisition of that skill. And so very few people have brain 
disorders that make it difficult for them to acquire uh, mathematical skills. Would they have to actually have a brain injury to have difficulty with it? Yeah, let me give you let me give you an example. Uh, so when I was doing neuropsychological testing, these are tests that neuropsychologists give to people that have various types of brain damage or were wondering about it. So I was giving uh, those kinds of tests to uh, various people in the late '80s, uh, and that's when we had uh, not. Uh, we didn't have very good uh, imaging uh, devices. The functional MRI and other instruments weren't uh, uh, readily available to us. Uh, so I gave uh, two batteries of tests to um, uh, uh, two women with actual bullets in their brains. And the neurosurgeon didn't want to pull the bullets out of their brains because they do more tissue damage. And in fact, uh, just as a sidebar, unfortunately, both of these women uh, were the, um, um, the victims of domestic violence. So it was pretty clear to us that um, the bullets Jeez. that were lodged in their brain were um, put there by their husbands. But uh, typical mm. of a brain injury, what you have is uh, what is called post-traumatic amnesia. So you don't remember uh, anything about the event, and the larger the span of time before and after really dictates or tells us uh, the degree of da brain damage. So neither women knew that um, they, uh, their husbands uh, were the ones that, that shot them, essentially. Um, but uh, going on with my story, so one of the women uh, actually, prior to the injury, uh, did uh, tax returns for a living. So she worked for H&R Block or some company like that. And, and um, mm -hmm. as you and I know quite well, you know, doing your tax returns requires uh, uh, arithmetic skills. You, know, you have to really know how to count and multiply and divide and, and everything else. So she was really keen at math. Uh, but after the injury, uh, she was very, very poor at math. And it turns out that the bullet uh, that was lodged in her brain, still there, mm -hmm. was lodged in the posterior uh, left parietal temporal area. And that area seems to correspond to mathematical skills. And so here you have a person with great skills prior to the injury and very poor mm -hmm. skills after the injury, and where was the bullet? In the area of the brain corresponding to that kind of um, uh, injury. Now, let me say that if you are a child and you get that mm -hmm. kind of injury in that particular area, you have a uh, greater ability to acquire those skills in other areas of your brain. So there's a greater degree of neuroplasticity available the younger you are. It doesn't mean you can't uh, you know, mm -hmm. grow new cells and make new connections and all that as we age. Uh, but you have more available uh, flexibility early in your life. Are you saying that, that, that you could rewire the brain in, in other areas to pick up for that deficit? Exactly. So, so let's say that you uh, are uh, um, uh, blind at birth, and uh, the areas of the cortex that are involved with uh, uh, vision uh, are the areas we, we call the occipital lobes. And uh, so your um, uh, blindness now um, uh, requires that you uh, accentuate other skills to navigate uh, around 
the room, let's say, or around the, your environment, and a person uh, that is blind uh, might develop better auditory skills and, and uh, tactile uh, skills, in other words, feeling things. And, and uh, so those areas corresponding to auditory functions and also uh, tactile functions in the parietal and the uh, temporal lobes seem to, uh, uh, you could say, uh, blend into the occipital lobe. So the, so the occipital lobes now uh, are used uh, for auditory and uh, tactile uh, functions. Uh, mm -hmm. So you could do that far more uh, easily early in your life than later in your life. Another example is language acquisition. So uh, you and I... Mm -hmm. uh, probably a whole lot older than you are, but nevertheless, we're both over uh, nine, right? And so if you <laughs> learn a language uh, prior to age nine, most probably mm -hmm. you're going to learn it without an accent. If you learn a, a language, a second language or third language, after age nine, 12, and so on, uh, you're going to learn that language with an accent. Do you follow what I mean? So in other words, uh, you have a little bit more available to work with to develop these skills. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but we, as we uh, move through our life, acquire all sorts of capacities and skills and, and everything else that are hard to unlearn, like uh, the way we use our R's, for example. If you're, you know, trying to, uh, if you're a Japanese person, uh, you, know, you might have a mm -hmm. little difficulty with the, with the, uh, uh, the R uh, uh, intonation or, or whatever. So, uh, yeah, earlier, uh, a little bit better for plasticity, but that doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily mean that somebody late in their life can't develop um, uh, new skills. Uh, uh, we know that that is very much the case, uh, that people in their 80s and 90s that are pushing their brains to acquire mm -hmm. new skills uh, are challenging their brain to make new connections. Um, I, I use my father as a as a great example. Can I go on uh, and describe what he oh, has done? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So, so after he uh, received his law degree uh, in the late '40s in Boston, um, he kept going to college, and in fact, he was in college in graduate school when he died uh, in 2006. Every single semester of his life after mm -hmm. uh, law school, he was studying uh, a whole variety of subjects like historical geology and oceanography. When he died, he was a graduate student in painting. So Amazing. he was constantly cha challenging his brain and challenging mm -hmm. his brain in areas that uh, he knew nothing about. So he thought, well, geez, I don't know anything about oceanography. I'll take an oceanography class. Uh, and uh, oftentimes he would try to grasp what he didn't understand in areas that he was somewhat familiar with. So, so let's mm -hmm. take deep, for example. He loved the uh, Impressionist painting, painters, mm, specifically uh, Renoir. And so mm -hmm. he would go to Paris uh, every year for a month. You know, retired wow. judges have a good pension, so he could go there for a month. Mm -hmm. And, of course, he would go to the Orsay and... and uh, uh, you know, that's where the Impressionist paintings are, uh, are in great abundance. But he would also go to the Picasso Museum in Paris. And I went to the Picasso Museum there with him a couple times. 
And uh, each time I would say afterwards, well, Dad, I, I, I don't quite understand. Why do you like to go to the Picasso Museum? I, don't, uh, I thought you didn't like Picasso. He said, I don't. <laughs> and I said, well, geez, well, why is it that you go there? And he says, well, because it's interesting. So if you uh, have ever been there, uh, mm-hmm. it's very much like a lot of um, uh, museums uh, devoted to one artist. It's pretty much chronological. You know, if you go to the O'Keeffe Museum mm-hmm. in Santa Fe or the Van Gogh in, in Amsterdam or whatever, you start out in his early periods and you go chronologically. And so he uh, uh, would stand there and look at uh, Picasso's blue period. And, you know, during the uh, Picasso blue period, he looked almost like an Impressionist painter. Uh, you know, you could see what he was painting. There were sort of... Uh, pastel colors, and in this case, the, he li- really liked the color blue. But then Picasso mm-hmm. started hanging around with Brock, you know, this guy that um, uh, with him that started breaking things up. It was called Cubism in the in the teens, uh, roughly a mm-hmm. hundred years ago, right now. And um, uh, he stood there and scratched his head, and he said, "What the heck was he <laughs> doing? He was a good painter. I don't understand this." And uh, but he would go there and keep on forcing himself to try to understand what he didn't quite understand. Now, why am I going on with this story? Well, that's where you build new connections in the brain. When you try to grasp what you don't like, when you don't quite understand, that's where you build more infrastructure. If you do what you always like, all you're going to do is strengthen those pathways that support Mm -hmm. that particular subject. So... Mm -hmm. Learning in the language in a whole different language family. Let's say, for example, mm-hmm. you know, we're in the we're speaking in the Germanic language. The English is a Germanic language, and and let's say we try to learn Russian, you know, which is a, in the Slavic uh, Indo-European uh, group. Well, that's a little harder mm-hmm. than learning German, let's say, because uh, mm-hmm. uh, again, you're you're jumping into a whole new area. Or let's say learning Chinese, Mandarin. Mm-hmm. Well, that's even more difficult. And mm-hmm. uh, learning how to write in Chinese, you know, with the characters and all that, that's tremendously challenging for us, and more brain building takes place. Interesting, so, interesting. So Listeners, we, we could say, I, that's, um, oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, just, just, I just want to let the listeners know, in case they're just tuning in right now, that we're talking with John Arden. He's the author of the book, The Brain Bible. So, John, I have another question for you. We're seeing um, that a lot of people are being diagnosed with cancer, and they have to, a lot of times they undergo chemotherapy. Have you found in your research that chemotherapy can cross the blood-brain barrier and affect the left side of the brain for mathematics? Well, uh First of all, let me let me uh, say that I am not an expert in chemotherapy, but I know some general things about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the so-called chemo brain that is kind of a, a, a exactly. broad term that people talk about. Um, mm-hmm. 
I don't know it's necessarily specific uh, to target the left. Uh, I think it's more general uh, so that uh, with uh, chemotherapy, you'd find more global um, uh, chemo effects, uh, which, which include, uh, by the way, uh, the reduction in neurogenesis. Well, that would make a whole lot of sense, wouldn't it? I mean, what you're trying to do is reduce cancer cells. And uh, what happens when you... Uh, um, increase neurogenesis is you're also increasing cancer cells too. So blocking uh, cell growth um, uh, is uh, one of the unfortunate uh, side effects, you could say, of chemotherapy because you're also blocking other kinds of cell growth, and including uh, not only uh, tumor cell growth. Uh, so what you find is with chemo brain, let's say, is sort of this cognitive fog uh, that people unfortunately go through, uh, whereby it's harder to kind of think clearly and harder to be sharp uh, and uh, uh, remember things. And so there's more of a global effect uh, than a mm -hmm. specific mathematical effect. Uh, and okay. so, so since you picked out math, uh, for example, math isn't necessarily a discrete skill, but rather, let's say that if I were to give you a word, uh, arithmetic word problem, you have to really listen to what I'm saying. Hold it in your, what is called working memory. And working memory mm -hmm. is holding the information in mind while you listen to more information that I'm giving to you. And then you manipulate the information to come up with some kind of uh, arithmetic uh, solution. So it's not mm -hmm. just math alone, but rather it's the ability of your prefrontal cortex that's the kind of the commander of the brain to pay attention, to hold things in your mind, in working memory. And what we find mm -hmm. with people with, uh, you know, chemotherapy, it's a little bit more difficult to kind of stay present because, again, there's more mm -hmm. of a global effect that's occurring. Okay. Interesting. Let's get back to your book, the Brain Bible, and let's continue on with the rest of seed. Um, I think we'll be going into diet, talking about diet and how it affects the brain. Okay, and, and diet uh, uh, is uh, probably uh, one of the most, um, um, that and exercise, probably the two most important uh, deficits uh, that uh, we as Americans are, are now experiencing. Since roughly 1980, uh, the obesity levels have shot up dramatically uh, for two reasons, largely. One is the lack of exercise, and the other one is we've been eating uh, a lot of junk. We've been eating a lot of processed foods, uh, simple carbohydrates, and also trans fatty acids. So let's go through some of these uh, factors. So with uh, simple carbohydrates, um, these are uh, foods that have been processed already. So uh, uh, by the time you consume a simple carbohydrate, part of it has already been processed for you. So when you do eat it, it turns into glucose so much more quickly. And you don't want that to happen because you're going to get more oxidative damage. In other words, more free, to, free radical damage. And uh, that means you're going to get what is called excitotoxicity. In other words, cells are going to kind of burn out and die uh, more easily. And also you're going to produce what is called advanced glycation end products. And, and um, that sounds like a kind of a technical uh, uh, 
term, but let me unbundle it a little bit. Uh, uh, what happens there when you eat simple carbohydrates is uh, you uh, make your cell structures rigid and stiff. So if you can think in terms of uh, how uh, meat gets cross-linked when you're, let's say, barbecuing some chicken and you forget to turn it over and it gets mm-hmm. a little too tough and you're now chewing it and it's, oh, geez, should I eat this? I don't know. It's not black. I, I'm not going to give you the tough piece. I'll give you the tender piece. But, but you go ahead and eat the dry piece and it's hard to chew, hard to digest and everything else. Sure. Well, when you eat simple carbohydrates your cell structures get stiff and rigid. And uh, harking back to our earlier discussion about neuroplasticity, your brain requires soft and pliable cells to create new synaptic connections. So if you have stiff and rigid cells, it's hard to make these new connections because they're stiff and rigid. So you're rendering your brain uh, disabled in terms of learning. So people eating a whole lot of simple carbohydrates, especially older folks, boy, it's Mm -hmm. harder to digest in general. Or for any person experiencing a uh, a chronic illness like cancer, it's harder Mm -hmm. to do normal body functions. So your body's already compromised because it's fighting off it's it's trying to marshal uh, this uh, immune system to uh, battle uh, these chronic illnesses. Uh, and now you're eating bad stuff, so to speak, to put it really uh, mm-hmm. uh, in, uh, in general terms, uh, like simple carbohydrates. Now what you're doing is you're making your body work harder to get nutrients and you're creating the process through which your body is uh, creating excitotoxicity and burning out and dying, uh, killing cells. Now, let's, let's move on to trans fatty acids, if we will. Uh, well, trans fatty acids are formed uh, as a result of um, uh, heating up vegetable oil in metal containers. So, you know, when you, when you fry something, uh, in a metal container, you're creating the uh, process of, of uh, acquiring trans fatty acids. And when you consume trans fatty acids, what's happening is you're making your brain now uh, acquire uh, a gooey, sluggy gunk in your brain. It plugs oh, up sounds essentially... Dreadful. Your, your arteries and your capillaries. So if, if we were to erase uh, somehow mm-hmm. with uh, uh, Photoshop, all cells in your brain except for just the uh, blood vessels, you know, your arteries, your capillaries and everything, you'd still see a huge mass there because there's little blood vessels everywhere. So your brain requires good circulation. And later in life, you don't want to have uh, bad uh, circulation in your brain because you can get all sorts of injuries. In other words, uh, uh, more subtle injuries than a big stroke, you know, a blocking of artery mm-hmm. and all that. All these mm-hmm. little capillaries that feed your cells require good circulation. So with trans fatty mm-hmm. acids, you're plugging up the system and uh, you're making your brain... Um, acquire a substance very much like you're acquiring when you eat saturated fat. In other words, people that eat a lot of uh, red meat, uh, non-lean red meat, for example, uh, 
tend to create the plumbing problem that I'm talking about uh, in general with uh, trans fatty acids. So you could say that people that eat a lot of saturated fat, meaning a lot of hamburger, let's say, mm-hmm. and a lot mm-hmm. of fried foods tend mm-hmm. to have cardiovascular problems and get dementia earlier than people that don't. So those two factors, you could say cut out the simple carbohydrates out of your diet and cut out the trans fatty acids and saturated fat. You'll do mm-hmm. a whole lot better. Yeah, I mean, sugar is very destructive, and it's in almost every single food item that you purchase at the grocery store. Exactly. If it's, not a whole, if it's not a whole food. Yeah, exactly. Even ketchup. And in, in fact, there's a uh, mm-hmm. oncologist uh, at San Francisco, uh, University of California, San Francisco, that has uh, sort of made a name for himself uh, in a good way uh, by talking about how um, uh, the, the high consumption of sugar uh, is um, a um, a major concern for people uh, who uh, have developed cancer. You really want to mm-hmm. stay away. from sugar items. Mm-hmm. And in fact, if you want to stay away from cancer, good idea to stay away from sugar. I'm not saying sugar causes cancer. He, say, he thinks so. But, you know, I'm, I'm not in the know to the degree that he is. But mm-hmm. it certainly mm-hmm. doesn't help. <laughs> and, it, and it really collapses your immune system as well. Uh, mm-hmm. And that could lead us to the last um, uh, uh, letter of seeds, which is sleep. And so let's mm-hmm. say you eat a lot of simple carbohydrates, and you eat a lot of simple carbohydrates uh, at dinner. Uh, so you've got a higher level of glucose, and glucose is uh, sort of like sugar in your brain. I, I don't mean sugar in the granulated sense, but your brain kind of runs on glucose. And uh, you don't want to have a, uh, an elevated uh, a surge in, in uh, glucose uh, because what's going to happen is, uh, now you're going to create all this oxidative damage, and you're also going to kind of go up quick and then crash afterwards. And the crash uh, is uh, uh, one in which you're going to feel more anxious and uneasy, and if you have any kind of pain at all, you're going to have more pain. Well, that's a bad thing to do at night when you're trying to go to sleep. Or let's say you eat uh, a you know, big spaghetti dinner, but it's white flour. Well, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of that uh, spaghetti dinner is junk uh, because mm-hmm. it's just a bunch of white mm-hmm. flour. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, it turns into glucose too quickly, and then in the middle of your sleep cycle, you're going to have more shallow sleep. So what do I mean by uh, shallow sleep? Well, there's a sleep architecture, and so there are stages of sleep, and we need to get good uh, quality sleep architecture. So in other words, the slow wave sleep is probably the most important stage of sleep for the recuperation of the body, boosting the immune system, uh, developing a better uh, um, uh, consolidation of what we call in psychology explicit memory. And so a lot of very, very important uh, uh, processes, both uh, uh, general physiological and cognitive, uh, occur in um, slow-wave sleep. And so if you disturb slow-wave sleep by uh, acquiring, um, uh, let's say, simple carbohydrates in your diet or 
taking a glass of wine at night. Now, where do I live? I live in the wine country of uh, uh, Sonoma County. <laughs> and uh, so I see a lot of people that come in to see me and, and say, well, you know, I, I've got this problem. I wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I can't get back to sleep until 3 30. Well, the next thing out of my mouth, almost like a reflex, is, were you, <laughs> drinking, any, <laughs> you drinking anything at night? And they said, yeah, I'm drinking a glass of, or a two of wine at night. Uh-huh. And uh, uh-huh. so I explain uh, uh, the process through which uh, uh, alcohol is metabolized. And it turns out that, um, if you don't mind me getting a little technical here, uh, when no, you... Go ahead. Uh, if you drink alcohol, you're dampening down with one of the principal activating neurotransmitters in the brain called glutamate and mm-hmm. uh, stimulating, and I call it sort of counterfeit GABA. And GABA is the principal inhibiting neurotransmitter in the brain. So when you have a glass of wine, you go, ah, oh, I feel so much more relaxed. And so it's like you get a burst of GABA and your glutamate level is dampened down. But three to four hours later, your brain thinks it's got enough GABA, and the blockade or the dampening down of the glutamate is taken off. So now, in the middle of your sleep cycle, you get this burst of glutamate with not enough GABA. So you get all agitated, and you don't have any resources to calm yourself down, and you don't want to be like that at 2 and 3 in the morning. You want to be relaxed. And so, yeah, of course, the people, in, the people in my area say, but John, it's good wine. And I say, well, <laughs> well, I don't care if it's a $300 Cabernet. It doesn't make any uh, difference to your brain. Uh, your brain thinks it's alcohol, <laughs> and that's what happens uh, with alcohol. So oh anyway, uh, so what you've got to do is avoid sleep depressors, and alcohol mm-hmm. is one of them. Certainly caffeine, uh, afternoon mm-hmm. is also another one. Um, mm-hmm. Lack of exercise is another one. And mm-hmm. also keeping your bedroom too warm. You want to be cool. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I, I, I know that many people live in, in uh, you know, areas like the American Southwest and Arizona and southern New Mexico and all that, and it's, it's pretty warm at night in the summertime. Mm-hmm. So whatever mm-hmm. you can do to keep your bedroom cool uh, mm-hmm. at night, uh, it's going to be a whole lot better for you because we know that people during the wintertime seem to sleep better. Uh, because the bedrooms are generally cooler as long as they mm-hmm. don't have that forced air heat mm-hmm. on and off and on and off. Uh, so keeping mm-hmm. your body temperature down is really important. And can I add one more? Just uh, Then we can round the, uh, the sleep uh, mm-hmm. factor out. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of uh, the appliances, you could say, that's used in contemporary culture is a computer. And many people mm-hmm. are on their computers late at night. And what yes. they're doing is they're essentially looking at a computer screen. And so your retina is actually part of your brain, is picking up light. And it signals your brain that it's daytime outside. So eventually that information gets to your pineal gland that's positioned right in the middle of your brain that uh, secretes when it's dark, melatonin, that's the hormone that regulates the circadian rhythm, it, in a sense, tells your brain it's daytime outside, it's not time to go to sleep. So looking at computer screens late at night actually create insomnia. So it's a good idea to have low light late at night 
So, you know, if you want to do your emails and everything else, uh, you know, do them earlier, much better for you. How, how many hours before bedtime? Uh, the more the better. <laughs> so you might okay. want to say, well, geez, uh, try to uh, go into your more low light mode about three hours, and most people can't do that, about three hours before, keep the lights low, and then a lot of people mm-hmm. say, well, what about reading? Well, reading's good. You just don't want to have uh, real bright light uh, and uh, shiny uh, pages that are going to reflect mm-hmm. a whole lot of light. Uh, so keep the light low. And another thing you want to do is make sure your bedroom is a, um, uh, a conducer for sleep, and that's it, or sleep and sex, and that's mm-hmm. it. No TV <laughs> in there. Uh, uh, it's not an entertainment zone. It's not a place to argue with your partner about your finances. It's for those two. <laughs> right. Well, we're, we only have a few minutes left. I just wanted to do a recap. We've talked about education, diet, exercise. Obviously, we just kind of pulled in relationships and sleep. The last thing that you talk about in your book is moderating your stress. So you you want to add something to that? Right. Now, stress in itself isn't bad uh, because when people say uh, to me, oh, well, geez, Dr. Arden, I, I want to get a stress-free life. And I say, you know, I, I don't actually say this, but I want to say this. Well, what do you want to be, dead or something? Uh, you know, stress is a part of life. It's how much stress and how long. That's really the question. So a little stress, in fact, the word stress is now being, uh, by neuroscientists, sort of uh, discarded because it really doesn't describe much. Rather, the term that's being embraced is allostasis, meaning do you have enough resources to get through the challenges of the day, like shock absorbers on the road? And so you don't want chronic stress, extreme stress. And what happens when you have those chronic or extreme stresses, you get what is called allostatic load. In other words, you don't have enough resources to deal with the demands. And so if you do have chronic stress, let's just call it that because people know what that is, meaning you're just constantly tapped out, you can't rest, you have no downtime at all, uh, now you're creating the neurophysiology that's actually destructive to your brain. Your cortisol level, that's a uh, stress hormone, goes way up. And we know that people that have had chronic stress that have been in uh, major, major catastrophes, uh, like my, my relatives were uh, in a big genocide. I'm an Armenian, so you know, many of them were massacred by the Turks. And, you know, of course, they had high levels of cortisol trying to get away, and you know, many of them didn't. Uh, so high levels of cortisol over a period of time, we know this from Holocaust victims as well, or 9-11 uh, people down in uh, lower Manhattan and so on, high levels of cortisol damaging to the brain, and specifically the hippocampus, the area of the brain corresponding to uh, memory. So if you are experiencing stress, you want to be very, very scrupulous about practicing the seeds elements because those five factors that we went through before are the brain-friendly factors. So if you don't do these five factors, your stress or let's say even your trauma 
might result later into more of a, a trauma disorder like PTSD because, uh, you know, only 11 to 18% of people that experience a life-threatening trauma actually get PTSD. And so people like me, we're, we're always trying to research, well, who is it and why did the people that uh, experienced a life-threatening trauma got uh, developed a PTSD? Well, they didn't practice the seeds elements. That's one factor. Uh, and I shouldn't say one factor, it's more five factors. So uh, mm-hmm. practicing all five of those is a, you could say, stress reliever. You've got to get good quality sleep because your stress hormones are going to be up the next day. Mm-hmm. So let's say you have a trauma, you've got chronic stress and everything else, and you get bad quality sleep, now you're going to have more stress the next day. Or you mm-hmm. eat a lot of simple carbohydrates, you drink alcohol, you have no social connections. Uh, trying to feel better. <laughs> yeah. And so you think that what you need to do is go withdrawal and isolate yourself. Actually, that makes things worse. Mm-hmm. So practicing mm-hmm. these seeds elements are imperative to help you deal with those stressful situations that many people in, in regular life experience, even driving on those Southern California freeways that I, I know that mm-hmm. in your neighborhood uh, can be stressful. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so by the time you get to work, maybe an hour and a half later, you're kind of keyed up. Mm-hmm. taking a good walk and making sure you get good nutrition, good social connectedness, making sure the uh, next night you get a good night's sleep, all those factors are really going to be important. Well, John Arden, before we close today, why don't you tell our listeners where they can purchase your book, The Brain Bible, and give them your website. Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, my website is uh, uh, Arden. Dot com with no gaps between the doctor and the it's just dr mm-hmm. john arden all one word uh, dot com and uh, the brain bible uh, is uh, can be uh, purchased at uh, uh, barnes and noble or amazon dot com or if you go to my website you can get any one of those links and and uh, including pal's books which is probably the best bookstore on the west coast uh, oh, like okay. for Four city blocks in the in the city of Portland, oh. Oregon, uh, and they have an online uh, resource as well. Wonderful. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. A pleasure, sorry, <laughs> having you on my show today, and oh, uh, you've imparted, you've imparted some really valuable information for our listeners, and well, I can't thank you, thank so you enough. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you today and and look forward to hearing your show in the future. Thank you, John. Thank you so All right, much. Listeners. All right, listeners, please tune in again next Wednesday. We will have another great show for you. And um, have a wonderful evening. We celebrate our listeners worldwide and invite you to contact Denise at www.healthmedianow.com with any questions you may have and follow her on Twitter at Health Media Now and Facebook at Health Media Now. For those interested in an advertising campaign on her show, contact Lisa at knowledgeworkspub.com. Be sure to visit Got Cancer? Now What? for information on Denise Messenger's award-winning book,
got cancer, now what? Listeners, I just wanted to remind you that this show is based upon the opinions of Denise and her guest. It's not intended to replace a one-on-one relationship with a qualified healthcare professional of your choice, and it's not intended as medical advice. We're sharing knowledge and information and the experience of Denise and her community. We encourage you to make your own healthcare decisions based upon your research and in partnership with a qualified healthcare professional of your choice. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Thank you. Bye-bye for now. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.